whose name was Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field ears of grain after him, in whose, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging, belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, who was in charge of the reapers, Who is this young woman? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz asked her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat behind the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from, some from the bundles to, for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about one ephah of barley. As she took it up and went to the city, her mother-in-law sat and saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name who I worked with was name was Boaz. And Naomi said to her, daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. 
if you're visiting with us or you're new, what we do is we just take, kind of take books of the Bible and work our way through. Um, and for Advent, the four weeks of Advent, we're working our way through the story of Ruth. Um, so just to recap what we looked at last week in chapter one, um, uh, Ruth, the, the story of Ruth is, is primarily a love story between this woman called Ruth and, and this man called Boaz, who we just met this week. Um, but it's more than that, it's really a love story. It's really a love story about God's love between, between God and his people. That's really what all of this is symbolized. That's what it's working towards. Um, so we saw last week how Naomi with her husband and two sons, they, they left Bethlehem, um, and at Bethlehem, which was the house of bread, the place of God's provision. And they left there and they went to Moab, which was the land of their enemies, right? These people, um, I mean, you can read the, the, you can read, uh, the, the, um, uh, the Deuteronomy and, and Judges and all those kind of books, and you'll hear the relationship that Israel had with Moab, and it was not a pleasant one. They, they warred with each other, they hated each other, um, and for good reason as well. And they went down there, and then their two sons, their two sons married uh, these two women called Orpah and Ruth, and Naomi, after her sons die and her husband dies, decides to go back to Bethlehem because she heard that there was, the famine was over and there was food again in Bethlehem. And Ruth, in this incredible act of faith, um, she has faith in God, and so she pledges herself not just to Ruth, or sorry, not just to Naomi, but she pledges herself to, to God's people. She pledges herself to Israel, and she goes back there um, with Naomi. And we saw that, that was like a, this commitment that Ruth showed was, was, not, just, it was, was a, not just a commitment to Naomi, but a commitment to God. And that's a picture of the, the commitment love that Christ has for us. And we saw that this is in the Bible, God's way of working in the world, that hope is born out of despair. So this place of, 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 of death and grief and sorrow, hope was born, and that's what we focused on last week. Um, and just when we, we think that God seems furthest away, he's often about to just reveal his greatest triumph to us. That's, that's the way God works. And, and that's, the, that's the story of Easter, isn't it? The Easter Saturday, like hope seems dead, and then, and then hope is born out of that on Sunday morning. It's the story of Advent. It's, what, it's the story of Christmas. It's what we look forward to in Advent, that the world was walking in darkness, but, but God enters into history, like bursts onto the scene. The world was walking in darkness, but the world has seen a great light with the coming of Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating. And so we're picking up the story this week where we left off last week. Naomi and Ruth have come back to Bethlehem. They're poor. Uh, they don't have anyone to provide for them or look after them. And we'll, we'll see why that's important later on in the story. It's a cultural thing. Um, and Naomi is in a really bad place emotionally, right? And you can understand why. She lost her husband. Uh, she lost her two sons. Um, and so she's, it, it, I mean, it seems like she's depressed, doesn't it? When you read this story, it seems like she's in a, just in a really bad way. Um, and then Ruth, Ruth has stepped out in faith, but it's led her into a bad place. She's followed this, this woman out of devotion, out of faith, and here she is in this foreign land, the land of her enemies, um, in a place where she's not welcome. And this is where we start our story this week. Um, so let me pray for us, and, and then we can get stuck in. Um, Father God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you speak to us, that you just haven't left us to try and make it on our own. Um, but uh, the Bible is you, your way of communicating your love to us and who you are and guiding our lives. So Father, would you just let us hear our Father's voice this morning. Um, help us to hear you clearly. May our lives be changed, and uh, may uh, we have more faith. May we have more joy. Uh, in your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
so a bit like Ruth uh, and Naomi, like I wonder, you know, maybe sometimes in life you find yourself in a situation where there just seems like no way out. Like there's absolutely no way out. Uh, and then just maybe at the last minute, something changes. So I was trying to think of, I, I was trying to think of situations in, in my life, but I, well, anyway, I thought I'd pick back one from movies. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? Right, so you know that, you know that the, it's in the second one and they have this battle at Helm's Deep and they're about to lose and they, they ride out for one last charge and they're surrounded by enemies. And then just when it seems like they're all going to die, they look up and Gandalf appears on the, on the hill with all the horsemen and he comes down like it seems like there's no way out. But at the very last minute, something changes. A pathway appears, an opening appears. And this is kind of what happens in our passage today. It seems like a pretty desperate situation. It seems like, I mean, they're poor. They have no food. They have no money. They've come back to this foreign land. Uh, Naomi, she she's, seems like she just she's depressed. And it's, some, sometimes when we find ourselves in these hopeless situations... With seemingly no way out, we, we just ask ourselves, where is God? Or, or, or how could God let this happen to me? And it seems like maybe that, that's the, the attitude that Naomi had. Uh, God, have you made a mistake? Have you dropped the ball? Like this, was, is this, re- how, how did this happen? But the story of Ruth is a story that teaches us that there are no accidents with God, right? Everything happens for a reason, and things that, that seem like accidents are actually appointed by God. Like nothing happens by accident. Ephesians 1 tells us that, that God works all things according to his will. That means that, that he has a plan and everything is being worked out. Even when it seems de- desperate, it seems like there is no hope or there is no way out. And Ruth shows us this truth played out in the lives of these two, uh, in the eyes of the world, very unimportant women. They were literally at the bottom of the food chain. And we see that there are no accidents. And what we're going to see this morning is that the, fa- that, that the favor of God is no accident. Even when we seem like things have happened by accident, God's favor is at work. And there is no accident in the favor of God. Here's Ruth. Hopeless situation. But she's about to find favor. And she doesn't just find favor with Boaz. She finds favor with God. She's in a foreign land. She's an outcast. She's living with her mother-in-law. Oh, my goodness. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I do love my mother-in-law. That's a joke. I shouldn't make that joke. Uh, but when it seems that there's no way out, salvation arrives, and it arrives in the form of this man called Boaz. And often in the Bible, right, uh, what happens, especially in stories like this, we can find out what someone is like. Some, we can find out someone's character through their actions. So as the story goes on, we'll see what someone is like. And that definitely happens here with Boaz. We, we see in action what kind of man he is. But actually, the, 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 the narrator of the story tells us what he's like. He says he's a worthy man. right? And that doesn't make much sense in our context or in our language. But back in ancient Israel, that phrase that's used there, worthy man, it meant someone who was kind of like a war hero. Someone who was dignified, someone who usually had wealth, someone who was good in their essence, someone who was, was, was powerful and good. That's the key thing that's going on there. He was good and he was powerful. Actually, his name is Boaz. Bo meaning him and as meaning strength. His name means in him is strength. He's this powerful man, but he's a good man. And then Boaz comes on the scene. Boaz, you kind of have to understand, Boaz is kind of like, 
He's the kind of guy that you want your daughter to bring home. That's, that's really what this passage is saying. He's the, you know, he's the, you know in the slow motion bit in a movie where like the, maybe his hair is blowing in the wind. Not that I would know what that looks like, but you know, his hair is blowing in the wind. It's all slow motion. The music's playing. That's kind of what happens when Boaz comes on the scene in this story. And he's introduced at the start, very first, the narrator purposely puts him up front to give us a clue that he's going to be important later on. He's a good man. He's, he's, he cares about people. He looks after the poor. He's wealthy. And he loves the Lord. Look at how he greets his employees. He comes out to the field and he says, the Lord be with you. That, he cares about them and he blesses them. He's a man of God. And then we cut back to Ruth. And Ruth and Naomi, maybe they found a room to rent. We don't know where they're staying. Maybe they're staying in someone else's house. We, we just don't know. Or, or maybe they've even left a house there whenever they left Bethlehem 10 years earlier. We don't know. But they're in this desperate situation. And, and Ruth says, well, I'm going to do something about it. Naomi can't look after herself. She's no, no mental state to, <coughs> to do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look after her. She's not ready to give up on her mother-in-law just yet. This has said, this steadfast love that we saw last week, this, this devotional love, this loyal love that God has for his people is the same love that Ruth displays for her mother-in-law. And it's still there. So she goes out to decide, or she decides to go out to the barley fields and, and see if she can get some food. Now, it says that she goes out to glean. And I don't know if you know what that means, but basically, in ancient Israel, God's law provided for the poor, foreigners, uh, fatherless, um, widows, people at the least of society, they were provided for by God's law because basically the harvesters, they weren't supposed to go right to the edge of the field when they were gathering the crops. They were supposed to leave some at the edge of the field. And if they dropped stuff, so if they're carrying their bundles of, I mean, I'm no farmer, if they're carrying their bundles of, of, of barley and some fell out, they, they weren't really supposed to pick them up. Leave those in the ground and then the poor people can come along and pick those up. It was God's way in his law of making sure that poor people, the least of society, were provided for. But it wasn't good work, and you couldn't get very much to eat. In fact, uh, sometimes these gleaners would be abused, and you see hints of that in the text where Ruth wants, or Naomi wants to make sure that Ruth isn't uh, assaulted, or Boaz has to tell his men not to go near her, and all that kind of stuff. It, wa- it wasn't it wasn't a nice situation to be in, but you could get some food. It's a humiliating position, but it's in this humility that God provides salvation. Naomi's just humbly trying to do her best for her mother-in-law out of that love that she has for her, and God provides salvation. Ruth's position isn't an accident. God is working out his plan in all these situations, right? so that he can burst onto the scene and show his favor. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like, why am I in a situation? This is a hopeless, pointless situation. But often what is about to happen is God's about to burst onto the scene and show you his favor in ways that you would never have seen if you hadn't gone through the hardship. There's no accidents with God. And that's our first lesson today. I would just say, I would just call it this, divine appointment leads us to the place with God's favor. Have a, look at, uh, have a look at verse 3 here if you've got your Bibles. Keep your Bible open. Have a look at verse 3. So she, that's Ruth, so she set out and went and gleaned. She gathered up the, the, the grain in the fields after the reapers, here are the harvesters. And she happened to come to the, to the part of the field that belonged belong to Boaz. Now in our English Bible, it just seems like this is chance, doesn't it? It's just like, oh, she happened to come to his field. But when we read it in Hebrew, it actually mentions 
the word chance or luck twice. Uh, it's kind of like, well, this is what it would sound like, uh, literally translated. As luck would have it, she chanced upon the field of Boaz. So uh, the, the writer in Hebrews actually put the word luck twice. And it's kind of like, um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like doing air quotes, as luck would have it. It's a way of emphasizing that there's no luck involved at all. The writer wants us to see that, 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 that there's no chance here. There has been an unseen hand guiding Ruth's from the moment she left the house. She could have gone to any field. She could have gone to, to any of these, these hills where the fields would have been, but she didn't. She went to Boaz's field. She ended up exactly where God needed her to be. There was no chance in this. God was guiding every part of her life. And if you go and read the first chapter of Matthew, what you see in there is the genealogy of Jesus. That means like his family tree. All the way back, be all the way back beyond Ruth. Ruth is part of that story. No spoiler. I mean, it is a spoiler alert, but Ruth and Boaz get married and have a baby, and that baby is the grandfather of King David. He's in. Ruth becomes part of Jesus' family line, and there's no chance involved in this. He's working for her salvation and for our salvation. Think about that. If God hadn't guided Ruth to that field, we wouldn't be here. And I love that. I love that the narrator, whoever this person was, stops here and points that out because it allows us to think about the fact that God is working on our lives in ways that we can't even see. Our lives are part of a much, much bigger plan. Our lives are more than just about us. Ruth was part of this much bigger cosmic story that involves all of creation and all of history. She doesn't, she doesn't know it yet, but God was working in her life. And what we tend to do is just get so focused on our own lives and all the details of what's going on with us that we fail to even consider that we're part of something bigger, don't we? Like human, be human beings are experts at being self-obsessed, aren't we? Like we just walk around like this, navel-gazing, just bent in on ourselves all the time. That's, how we, that's what we do. Especially if, like Ruth, we find ourselves in hard times, then it's all about me. It's all about, why is this happening to me? Why do bad things always happen to me? But if we pause and, and look outside of ourselves, we can often see that that said, that, that steadfast love, that loyal love, that commitment love of God is at work and, and, and in our lives in ways that we can't even see. And, and, and here's the key, the key part to this luck, this chance that happened in this story. See, Ruth did the only thing that she could do, and God did what only he could do. Ruth did the only thing she could do, and God did what only he can do. Ruth took the only path that seemed option to her. It was the, it was the only door that was there. It was the only option. We got no food. It's essentially, essentially for us, that's like going down to the South Off Fast Food Bank. By the way, if you're in that situation, let us know. No one in the church should be like that. Let us know and we can, we can provide and help for you. But it's like, it's like the only option for me is to go to the food bank. There's nothing left. And she took the only path that was open to her. And guess what? It was God that had opened that path to her. God had closed all the other paths so that he could work out his amazing grace in her life. Proverbs 16 says that a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, God is the one who's directing our lives. There are no accidents with God. He's, it's not like he's surprised. Oh, I didn't see you doing that or I didn't see that coming. 
No, and even, even if you're in hard times, like God knows. He has you. He put you there for a reason. It's for your good and for his glory. Why did Ruth find herself in Boaz's field? Because God was guiding her steps. Ruth happened to come to Boaz's field because God is gracious and sovereign. That just means that he, that he is, when I say gracious and sovereign, what that means, it means that he's totally good and totally powerful. He's totally good and totally powerful. And he never makes mistakes. God directed Ruth in this way that he could show her his favor. In fact, by guiding her that way is an act of favor, but she can't see it yet. And there are clear examples of God's favor in this story. And that leads me on to my second point. God's favor is shown to us most in Jesus' pursuit of us. Last week we saw that, that Ruth's commitment love, this has said to Naomi, was a picture of Jesus' commitment love to us, right? But in this part of the story, it's Boaz who is the one who points to Jesus. So in, in theological terms, we say that he is a type of Jesus, right? Or last week, Ruth was a type of Jesus. And how this works is that all the Bible is about Jesus. So all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. And all of the New Testament is about Jesus. All of history focuses in on in this one time, this one person, and that's Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to him and foretells of, of his coming and what he'll be like. And that's what we see in Boaz. Boaz, we saw it in Ruth last week. This week we see it in, in Boaz. Boaz' approach to Ruth is a picture of Jesus' approach to us. And it's incredible that the story of Ruth, is, I love this chapter. It gives us this picture of what the gospel is like. It shows us, it shows us what God's favor to us is like. Sometimes you get a bit squirrely when you start talking about God's favor because some people, some people who read the Bible wrongly would only talk about God's favor in terms of health and wealth and prosperity. And that's wrong. Jesus wasn't, health, or Jesus wasn't wealthy. Anyway, we're going to see these five pictures of God's favor towards us, and it'll give us this clear biblical picture of what God's favor is like. Firstly, we see God's favor in his concern for us. So Boaz comes into the field. I don't know why, but he's got a shirt up and down like here. Don't know why. You know, his pecs are out a wee bit and his hair is blowing in the wind. That's how I imagine him. Prince Charming comes along. Anyway, maybe that's why I want to imagine him. Um, but he comes into the field and, and Ruth's gleaning and he's like, well, I haven't seen her before. And notice what he asks his employees. He asks his guys, he's like, whose young woman is this? Now, for us, we probably think, well, that's a strange question to ask. And actually, Boaz, that's kind of sexist. I don't belong to anyone, right? But that's not what's going on here. You have to understand the context. Because it, 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 we in the modern West think of identity as an individual thing. I am this. But in the non-Western ancient world, even still actually in the non-Western world, identity is communal. Like you belong to a tribe. You belong to a clan. You belong to a village. You belong to a family. That's who I am. I am part of this group. And when Boaz asked this question, he's showing that he cares for her well-being, right? He's concerned that she might not be protected, that she might not be, be provided for. He's noticed a stranger in his field, and he's like, hang on, she's obviously poor. She's not exactly rolling in it because she's gleaning. Does she have someone who's looking out for her? That's what he's saying. And this is the attitude of God towards us, isn't it? This is why Jesus came, because God cares for us. 
He saw our hopelessness and helplessness and he entered in. It's, it's a sign of God's favor that he would even take an interest in us, right? Like we don't deserve his favor. We really don't. All we've ever done is reject him and walk away from him. Even as I think of this past week in my life, all the times I've rejected him. All we've ever done is thrown his love back in his face. God provided a perfect way for us to live that would lead to our flourishing, that would lead to our joy, that would lead to our prospering. And all we do is just complain that things aren't going the way that we think they should. Psalm 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? In other words, why would the almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, why would he even take an interest in us? Why? But yeah, he does. I need you to hear this. God cares for you individually. God cares for you. And he shows his love and care for us most through the incarnation. That's, that's the coming of Jesus as a human being. I was reading this week about the, the, the immaculate conception, about, about this virgin who, who, who gets pregnant. The greatest miracle in history. God cares for you. And he shows it even more in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter 5 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were rejecting him. He died for us whenever we were enemies of him. He died for us when we we, we didn't want him, and he died for us. God's favor is shown in his concern for us. Secondly then, God's favor is shown in his protection and provision, right? So by now, Boaz has asked his guys, he's like, who is, the, who, who, you know, who is this girl? And, and uh, he knows that Ruth is a Moabite. He knows that she is Naomi's daughter-in-law. It was a small town, and, and he's you know, kind of a bigwig, and, and he would have known what was going on. And the amazing thing is, is the way that he treats someone who's supposed to be his enemy. You see, see he, you know, According to everyone else, he should probably have just rejected her. At the very, he just had to obey the law, which meant that he could let her work in his field. That's it. But he goes above and beyond. Verses 8 and 9 are, like, offer, like, show us this spectacular picture of the gospel. And I'm going to read them. Verses 8 and 9. Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that, are, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? There's the protection. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. There's the provision. This is incredible. You see, being a young, single, female, foreign woman, obviously she's a female woman, you know what I mean? Young, single, foreign woman gleaning in the field. That was a, not a safe place to be at all. It was an awful place to be. And Boaz, Boaz just sees her humility. And without even knowing her story, it would have been obvious that she's not rich. But look at the love that, she display, that he displays. He makes sure that she's provided for by having enough grain to, to, to take home. And having water to drink. And he offers her protection. He tells, he tells the guys that work for him, hey, don't you touch her. She's working in my field. She's under my protection. Boaz displays, has said, the steadfast love of God towards Ruth. 
And there's so many barriers between them, right? So many barriers. First of all, the gender thing. I mean, you wouldn't really associate with the... It would be in, improper. Secondly, the financial status. Like she was... And we'll come back to this. She was essentially 15 social classes below him. And I'll come back to that in a second. There was the national identity. They, they were enemies. But, but, but Boaz doesn't care about those things. He breaks down those barriers. And he, just display, he brings Ruth into his community and displays love towards her. And he doesn't just say, well, you know, uh, feel free to stay as long as you want. And, you know, take what you want. Uh, uh, you know, nah. He commands her to stay. He said, listen, Stay. I've got more than enough for you, and you should be part of this. I can bring you, I can offer you protection. Stay here. It's dangerous over there. You won't be satisfied. Stay here. When he invites her to stay, all that he, all that he has becomes hers. And this is the gospel. This is what God does for us in Jesus. God doesn't just say, hey, uh, you know, Jesus died for you, so feel free to come to him, um, and then maybe you can, if you want to, wander off and try some other stuff, and, you know, you might find something different over there. No, he says, forsake all other gods. Have no gods but me. Why? Because nothing else provides. I have more than enough than you need. Everything we need is provided for by God. Ephesians 1 says, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. Everything that was, everything that is Jesus, every blessing that is Jesus's is now ours. You see, when you trust in Jesus, all your sin and shame and guilt, that gets transferred to Jesus. You know what gets transferred to us? All his goodness and grace and righteousness and blessing. It's, what, it's what's called the great exchange. When we're united to Jesus, we receive not just Christ, but all the blessings that God has heaped on Christ. Does that make sense? Everything in heaven is now ours. We're seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. And then someday we're going to reign and rule over the new creation with Jesus. He takes us. We were gleaning in the fields. We're poor. We're standing in the queue at the food bank. And he takes us and puts us in a palace and sets us at a banqueting table. That's the gospel. That's what, that's what Boaz is displaying for us. God's favor and his provision and protection for us. 30 then. Because I could just keep talking about it all day. 30 then. God's favor, we see God's favor in, in rewarding faithfulness. Now, from a natural viewpoint, Ruth doesn't deserve any special treatment, right? And so when Boaz shows this kindness to her, her, her response is astonishment. She can't believe it. She's like, why have I found favor with you? Like, you shouldn't be doing this for me. This is incredible. I don't deserve this. But Boaz in verse 12, makes it clear that the blessing is not, not from him, it's because of God. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, the Lord has seen Ruth's faithfulness. He's seen her faith, and, now, and how her faith has been worked out in her life, and in, in this commitment that she's shown to Naomi. And in his grace, God is repaying her. 
And Boaz uses these two phrases. He says, he said, may the Lord repay you. Repay is, literally comes from the word shalom, which means this, this uh, bountiful peace, this wholeness, this completeness. In other words, may the, Ruth, because of your faithfulness, may the Lord restore you to wholeness. That's what he's saying. This broken young woman. May the Lord restore you to wholeness. And, and the other phrase he says is, may you receive a full reward. And that just means like, may your wages be full. May you not be, you know, may you, may you get the full pay packet. That's what he's saying. And it's interesting that Boaz pray, prays for God to bless and restore Ruth. But he doesn't, just, he doesn't just say that, hey, well, I hope God blesses you and then walk away. No. He gets on with doing the blessing himself. He, he enacts the blessing of God which is a huge lesson for us as a church, right? He knows God's heart. He knows what God's up to. And then he becomes God's, as we say, like hands and feet. That's what we're to do too. He, he joins God in the work that, that God is doing. So we know what God is up to in the world. We know that he's the prince of peace, come to bring peace. So we should be people of peace. We know that we, we join God in the renewal of all things by serving people, by, by seeking out the poor, by, by being generous and kind and serving those in need. We don't just say, well, Lord, bring your peace and bring your kingdom. And No, we get stuck in. We, the church, are the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth right now. And we don't just pray, Lord, bless people. We bless people. We join God in what he's doing, just like Boaz. And he says that, well, you know, the Lord is rewarding you for your faithfulness. And this is a biblical principle. Sometimes we get a bit nervous about the idea of, like, getting a reward because we don't want to undermine grace. But, but God rewards his people when they are faithful to him. That's clear. That's in the Bible. Ruth's faithfulness to God, even when Leonard led her into poverty and being a stranger in the land of her enemies, are about to pay off big time. The rewards ahead of her are far greater than anything she's had to give up, anything she's lost. This is what God does for us. Jesus says in Mark 10, he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has, who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, no matter how much it's cost you to follow me, I'm going to repay you a hundred times more. That's what he's saying. Whatever you give up in this life for the sake of the gospel will be repaid to you in more abundance than you can even imagine. And maybe, maybe for some of you in this room, like following Jesus has cost you a job or, or friends or made family relationships difficult. Just upstairs earlier, Rachel was praying for brothers and sisters across the world. And for some of our brothers and sisters today, it costs them their lives to follow Jesus. It costs them their, 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 it costs them their freedom. They've been thrown in prison and so on. But even then, the reward ahead of them is more than they can even imagine. And this, this perspective of, of like a heavenly reward is, is part of our motivation to keep running and to keep... To keep running the race and pressing on because nothing you can lose for the sake of following Jesus will not be made up to you in ways that you can't even imagine. And Boaz says that Ruth has taken refuge under God's wing. He sheltered her under his wing. 
This is just this Old Testament language for salvation. This is part of her reward. She sought the protection of Jesus and now, or the, of God, and now she's about to be rewarded. God's favor in reward and faithfulness. Fourth, then, God's favor is shown uh, in gospel inclusion, right? What I mean by that is, well, I'll just explain it. So what happens next in the story would have been absolutely shocking to anyone who was looking on. It was a scandal. Um, Because Boaz asked Ruth to come and eat lunch with him. And that would never have happened because of all the barriers that are between them, right? So, So he's a man, he's an Israelite, he's powerful, she's a foreigner, she's a woman, she's his enemy, and he says, come and eat with me. Dip your bread in, in my cup. See, there was this ranking that I mentioned before. Uh, basically, in, in, in that, that society, you had the king or the judge at this time of Israel, top of the food chain. Then you would have had tribal leaders. Then you would have had uh, a clan leader or a clan subgroup leader, numbers three and four. And that's probably where, where Boaz was. He was probably in charge of a clan in Bethlehem. Or he was a sub-leader. Then you would have had an older father who would, who would have been Elimelech. Then you would have had a father, then eldest son, then son, then wife, then daughter, then male servant, then female servant, then resident alien, then male foreigner, then female foreigner. Sixteen steps. Thirteen steps between Boaz and Ruth. She was at the bottom of the pecking order and Boaz says, come and eat with me. Come and sit in this place of order, honor. And this is what Jesus does for us. Think of all the trouble that Jesus got into, right? By spending time with people he shouldn't have been spending time with. He, he ate with tax collectors and, and people with leprosy and prostitutes. And all the people that confronted Jesus about this thing, they didn't, even, didn't ever seem to consider that they didn't belong at his table either. Think about the Last Supper. The 12 disciples, these 12 guys in this room with Jesus, and none of them deserve to be there. And yet Jesus shared his bread and wine with them, and he shares it with us too. You see, Boaz didn't owe Ruth anything, and Jesus doesn't owe us anything. Boaz didn't wait for Ruth to become impressive. It wasn't, it, 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 she didn't wait for him to climb the social ladder or become a bit more like Jewish or something. And Jesus doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up either. He died for us while we were still sinners, remember? He doesn't wait for us to get worthy of his grace. It's called grace because we can't ever be worthy of it. He invites us to come and eat at his table. And this is this biblical sign of it means that, that two people, are when they share a meal, are no longer enemies. That there is peace between them. They have become friends. All the, all the grievances have been dealt with. And Revelation 3 gives us this picture of, of Jesus standing at the door and he's knocking and he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, you know what I'm going to do? I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. All you have to do is open the door to Jesus. Let Jesus come in. He's the one who lays the table. He's the one who prepares the feast and he's the one who serves the food. Jesus has paid the debt and all you have to do is receive it. We were in the lowest position and he's brought us to his table, the position of honor. And this is God's favor to us in this inclu- in the gospel inclusion. Fifthly then, 
we're nearly done. God's favor is shown to us in extravagant grace. Ruth came and ate with Boaz and, and she ate lunch and she ate until she was full and then she's obviously like had some left over and you know maybe put it in her pocket or tucked it, I don't know what she did, but she brings up, she has enough food that she has some left over to bring home to her mother-in-law. And not only that, Boaz is extravagant in how much grain he allows her to gather. So he actually says, hey guys, drop a bit extra for her, you know, like make sure she's well looked after. And so she goes home, it says she goes home with this measurement in Epha, which is about 22 liters. So she goes home with actually, it's about, it's about um, two weeks worth of what a paid worker would go home with. She wasn't, that's not what gleaners get. Gleaners get a meager existence to maybe make one little piece of bread. She goes home in one day with enough for two weeks. More, two, two, 22 times more than what a paid worker would have received. This is extravagant grace. There's, salvation isn't an option for Ruth and Naomi anymore. And this is a picture of, of the extravagant grace that, that, that God shows to us through the gospel. Uh, Jared Wilson, uh, who's, well, go and find him. And he's a teacher and he says, God is not stingy with his gifts. God is not stingy with his gifts. When you drink the living water, you'll never thirst again. When you eat, when you eat the bread of his body and when you drink the, the wine of his blood, you'll never die. This is God's f- favor and extravagant grace. He doesn't just, he doesn't just cancel our debts it's like this, if you owe the bank a million pounds and they somehow not just cancel that, but put another million in that. So you go from a million in the negative to a million in the plus. That's what's happened here. This is God's extravagant grace. God's favor to us in extravagant grace. And all these things, Boaz is displaying who Jesus is and what he'd be like and God's grace to us. And it's interesting as we get onto our last point, how... how um, Naomi and Ruth respond. And our last lesson is this. The right response to God's favor is worship and devotion. Naomi, really since we first met her at the start of the story in chapter one, has not been in a good place, right? And, and, and understandably so. I think she's an incredible woman from this story, by the way. I'm, not trying to, I'm just saying that she's had a hard time and she's in a bad place. But both Naomi and Ruth give us really good examples of, of how to respond to the grace of the gospel. So Naomi, when, when Ruth comes home and tells her what has happened, something changes in her, right? She, she goes from depression and, and doubt, and now she just bursts into worship. Like something has come alive in her again. She responds with worship. God has provided, and she is thankful. She says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And notice that she's not just thankful to Boaz. That's not who she thanks. Yes, she wants him to be, she definitely wants him to be blessed and she's praying for him. But she said it's the Lord whose kindness hasn't forsaken them. It's, not, it's the Lord who's given, who's given them this grace. And what is she, she wants to give glory to God, and that's the right response. David in Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of Jesus' name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe just means to give to or assign to, right? 
And David recognizes, like Naomi, interesting that David is actually Naomi's uh, great-grandson-in-law. But anyway, that every blessing is a gift from God. Every good thing in our lives is from God. And we need to be given praise and glory and worship to Him. James 1 tells us that every good gift comes from God. And so if we're to thank and praise God for all the good things in our lives, and we should, how much more should we respond and worship and praise to the goodness and grace of Jesus in the gospel? Like literally raised us from death to eternal life. If you trust in Jesus, you'll never die. Why are we not responding and worship all the time? Advent, Advent is, the, is this season of gearing up uh, to give God all the glory for sending his son to come and live among us so that he could die for us. And that's why we're studying this book over Advent, so that we would understand more and more of the grace of Jesus. It was no accident that Jesus was born where and when he was born. And we should use this Advent season to prepare our hearts, like the, the song says, to praise the King of Kings. When the angels came to the shepherds in the hillside, me, I mean, I wonder how close it was these fields that R Ruth was in, outside Bethlehem. And they, get, they teach us this song. These shepherds, they teach us this song. They, they, they sing this song. Imagine that, a choir of angels singing to these shepherds. A few guys just like, you know, crazy. But this is the song. Glory to God in the highest. If you never say other words for the rest of your life, your life will be totally worth it. Glory to God in the highest. The right response to God's favor is worship. And when Naomi hears it was Boaz, right, she's even more reason to worship because it says here that Boaz is one of their redeemers. Now, this is another part of the Old Testament law that God provided for people who were down on their luck, people who were having a hard time. A redeemer was a member of the clan who was responsible to rescue other members of the clan who had fallen on hard times, okay? So uh, one way that a redeemer would help out is would, if, if his brother died, he would marry his brother's widow. Now, that seems weird to us, but it was a way of making sure that she was protected and cared for and, and that her children had an inheritance, or he could buy a relative out of slavery. So if, if one of your uh, clan members fell into slavery, you could rescue him from slavery. You could pursue justice for someone who was wronged. These are what redeemers did. And so Naomi realizes, hang on a second, Boaz, Boaz is one of our redeemers. There's something, there's more going on here than just a kind stranger. Our redeemer is close by, Ruth. Do you understand what's going on? It's our redeemer. Our suffering is about to come to an end. All the wrongs that I did by leading our family away from the place of provision in Bethlehem, our Redeemer's going to fix all that. And when the angel Gabriel, I read this earlier, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, you know what he says to her? He doesn't say like, he doesn't, hey Mary, how you doing? He says, this is how he says, he starts by saying, don't be afraid Mary, for you have found favor with God. You find favor and the favor of God is on Mary, and her Redeemer is close. And she recognizes this, and she responds in worship that I read earlier. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on my humble estate. I'm a 14-year-old girl. 
I'm at the bottom of society. Society has told me that I'm worth nothing, but I have the favor of God. God has favored me, and my Redeemer is close. And she bursts into song. She responds in worship. The right response is worship. And we've already seen Ruth's response, uh, a little of Ruth's response, but the very last verse tells us, uh, shows us how she responds in her life. We're told that, that Ruth kept close to the young woman of Boaz. She, 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 she listens to Boaz, she receives his grace, and she stays with him. She devotes herself to his fields. And no wonder, like, this is the place of extravagant grace. And, and so how could we do better than stick with our abundant provider, right? What are we going to do? Go and find another Jesus who's... Why would we be so crazy enough as to walk away from Jesus? John Calvin said, Since rich store of every kind of good abounds in him, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. God has given us every blessing in heaven, so why would we ever walk away from him? The right response to God's favor is devotion. We stick close by him, like we saw last week when Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Grace in abundance. Listen, you'll never run out of grace in Jesus. You'll never sin your way out of grace in Jesus. And it's so easy to be tempted to walk away, and I am done, I promise. And, and when we're, it's so easy to just be tempted by everything around us or by hard situation and think, oh, yeah, well, maybe that would satisfy me. Or maybe if I was married to this person, I'd be satisfied. Maybe if I had this kind, these kind of kids or maybe if I had that job or whatever it is, you fill in the blank for yourself. You think that would satisfy me. And there's nothing we can do about that temptation. Temptation is going to come. But what we can do is when we are tempted is remember the grace of Jesus. Like, remember all that he's done for us in the gospel. Remember that there are no accidents with God. Remember all the, the little turns of your life that, that brought you to him. He brought you to the place of blessing even when you couldn't see him working in your life. You were born, you were born into a family with Christian parents who, who loved Jesus and led you to love him. That's the grace of God in your life, dummy. Do you know what I mean? God directing every step of your life. So you'd know him and love him and experience his extravagant grace. So how do we respond? We become a channel of this said. We become a channel of this, this steadfast love. This, this commitment love. This dedicated devotion, right? And so we just love others like he's loved us. We serve others like he served us. God had a plan for Boaz and Ruth. God had a plan for Naomi. And he has a plan for you too. So let's respond to Jesus in, we're going to actually worship now and, and worship in devotion, just pledge our lives to never leave him. And when we are tempted to leave him, let's just remember that grace, remember there's no accidents and remember all that he's done for us. Let me pray.